Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your Oyster Ninja. Today, we are blessed with one of the legends in the game, Mr. Jason Woodside, all the way from PI? Prince Edward Island, Canada. Oh, boom. And um, <clears throat> so Jason is a two-time Canadian uh, oyster chucking champ and uh, also the uh, creator of the banjo oyster knife. Uh, that's one of my favorites. And if you're familiar with the Oyster Ninja, you've seen me shucking with that banjo knife. Uh, this is the guy behind it. What's going on, Jason? Not too much at all, Gardner. Just enjoying a great day. I was out swimming the lease earlier. I was right there in the water with the oysters. Uh, my skin feels fabulous. I think oysters <laughs> are probably good for the skin, for sure. And um, it's just a beautiful perfect picturesque day here Come in Moreno, Edward Island. Look at that, man. We don't get that every day. I wanted to do something special for you for having me on the podcast today, and so I thought I'd come down to the wharf and uh, show you the Oyster King. The Oyster King is our boat that we use for hauling the oysters in and out, and it's parked just over here. Sheesh, how big is it? Oh, probably 35 feet-ish. Okay. It's, it's actually an old lobster boat that's been repurposed for, for doing the oysters for us. And then what we do is we have this giant hydraulic boom on there, and we just use that for bringing in the cages. So we have the oysters are all in cages, and we go out, we haul them out, or we put them out, and that's it. That little boat does a lot of work. So before you, before we actually jump into to the, to what we call Jason Woodside, uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, just the history of Prince Edward Island? And you talked a little bit about uh, the lobster boats, but now it's an uh, oyster boat. So can you talk a little bit about that, man? Well, yeah, sure. So, you know, the interesting thing about the PEI oyster industry is that um, for years and years and years, it was dependent on what's called the wild fishery, where... As you know, people would go out and tong oysters, tong wild oysters and bring them back and then depurate them somewhere and, and that sort of thing. And then with the advent of culturing oysters, you know, we've had to sort of innovate a little. So a lot of, a lot of other equipment gets repurposed for, for oyster culture. So the, the, the lobster boat was one of them. And then of course there's muscle equipment and other stuff, you know, sizers and things like that, that were always kind of picking ass and trying to figure out the best ways to grow oysters. So there's a couple of different systems, but it's all the floating cages now. So all the oysters are out there in the floating cages. There is still a wild fishery here, of course, but, um, but the, the cultured oysters are definitely taking over as far as that is. And the, 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 large, the large wild oysters are also getting harder and harder to find too. Right, no doubt. So how did how did the Jason? How did you get into this this industry, man? Just uh, seafood and oysters and oyster shucking. You know, it's a it's a really funny story. Actually, I was I was 18 years old and I was washing dishes in my cousin's restaurant in Toronto, and you know, of course, I'm from PEI, and so he said, "Well, you must know how to shuck oysters, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course I do," but I really didn't know how to shuck oysters to save my life. <laughs> So um, I was like, but I'm from PEI. Of course, I know how to shuck oysters. So I started shucking and, and uh, when I got good at it, so I was just shucking in the restaurant. And then when I got good at it, they were like, why don't you go out front and shuck oysters? So I would do that. 
that event, that restaurant, uh, at my cousin, Adam, he eventually opened up Oyster Boy in Toronto. So that's where I worked for a long time. So I got in on the ground level. What I did was I was shucking in the kitchen and then I started shucking for service. And then Adam started taking me out on oyster catering events. My first event was at Wayne Gretzky sports bar in Toronto that I ever did. Uh, and I went there and I was shucking oysters. And what I couldn't get over was the fact that people were freaking out. They were like, oh my God, there's oysters. These oysters are great. You're the best. You're the best oyster shucker ever. And it's like my first gig ever. I was like fumbling most of them probably. So I thought, wow, there's really something to this. And um, as Oyster Boy became a restaurant and grew from there, I got in on the ground level. And so I got a whole education right away when I was 18, 19 years old, I got involved in the oyster business and I really just went from there. And, you know, I started looking at it as a kind of sommelier sort of thing where there was so much to know about the oysters and about where they come from and how there's all different types of oysters. And so I just got really, really interested in it. And I also at the time thought that one of the coolest jobs ever was being a beer rep. And I ended up becoming the oyster rep for Oyster Boy in the sense that they, gave, they put me in the wholesale position. I was delivering oysters to restaurants in Toronto and shucking oyster catering events in Toronto. And that's just kind of how it happened. I just, I just got really into it and I got better at shucking and I really embraced the, the lifestyle of it sort of, you know, going out and doing events. It's kind of like this, this sort of rock star thing in a way, you know, where you go to an event, everyone's just so happy to see you. You're the last guy into the party and you're the first one out. It's perfect. And it really, it just went from there after that. Nice, man. That's that's and that's uh that's the same thing that got me hooked, man. Just the the high of um being the life of the party. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, of course, that because I was from PEI, when I would come back to PEI in the summer for my vacations, I would go and visit some of the oyster growers that we were buying and distributing oysters for. So then I re that's where my education really started. A uh, very good dear friend of ours here in Canada, John Bill, was one of the first guys to teach me about oysters. And he was one of the first guys to, to really explain to me how the, the growing and processing works. And, uh, and I had, so I had great people like that to teach me and to learn from, you know, all these sort of legends in the oyster business, George Carr and Johnny Flynn, you know, I was really fortunate that I got to go and tour these farms and see the oysters growing. And then I would go back to Toronto and I'd tell all my clients and customers about this. And it really just went from there. And so now I've transitioned where I'm not so much of a high volume oyster shucker anymore. I work the farm and I do this part of it now. And, and it's, you know, it's been uh, quite enriching for my life to say the least. Man, you can't get out, man. You're, you're stuck. <laughs> I, I really am. And you know what? I tried to take a break from the oyster business for a while. And I went to, I went to college and I went to renewable energy school because the oyster farmers were the first ones to start telling me about renewable renewables and whatnot. So I went and I took solar and I thought, well, maybe I won't do oysters anymore. I'll do something else. But you know what? After like half a year of doing that, I just came back. I came right back to the oyster business. Right, right. And you mentioned a, a huge name that I kind of just stumbled upon, which was uh, John Bill. And that's only because of when he passed and went on to Oyster Heaven. But uh, can you just talk a little bit about him, man? Because a lot of people don't know like I did. Is anything you can say? I can. Well, John Bill is certainly the, how do I put it? 
he's the he's really the true figurehead i would say of the the ship to shore concept of knowing where your food comes and the um responsibility so to speak of the harvester or of the fisher person you know to maintain these beautiful waterways but at the same time reap the bounty of the ocean so to speak so john was really really into that you know he would go out with george carr and they would you know they would fish anything they would fish oysters they'd tong oysters all day john was really the first oyster shucker in Canada to, to do that, to like go out and really get involved in the farms and then to even just leave the, the, the business of oyster catering and everything and to, to just strictly work on the farm. And he did that for a long time. And then after he learned pretty much everything you can learn by working on the oyster farm and by working in different sort of fishing industries here on PEI, you know, then he went out again and then he took all of that knowledge to the world and then he told everybody about it through his book and through different events he's done and through restaurants he's helped open and stuff like that he's also the only or sorry he's a he's a left-handed oyster shucker which is awesome like me and so he was fortunate i was fortunate enough that he gave me one of my first lessons in shucking oysters and um he was a good friend he was a good guy and we certainly all miss him. There was a big hole left when he passed. And I think even now we're still trying to fill that hole. Right, right. Appreciate you for saying those kind words, man, and uh, introducing our listeners to uh, Mr. John Bill, if they haven't already uh, heard of him. So um, so you started at the Raw Bar. How did you get into uh, competition shucking? Oh, well, I got to tell you. <laughs> so I went to my first contest ever at Rodney's Oyster House in the summer of 1999. Ooh, okay. vintage, vintage. Oh, yeah. And what was really interesting about it was to see all the shuckers, you know, they all had like shirts, you know, with like, you know, like custom printed shirts and they all had their oyster knives. And, and at first I was like, oh, okay, oyster shucking competition, this will be fun. And I went there and I realized it was a lot like a skate competition. <laughs> like skateboarding, you know? Okay. I'm looking at all these different guys. They work for different oyster houses. They work for different places. They're all sporting their shirt, you know, jersey or whose hat they're wearing or whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is, must be what it would have been like to be at like the Del Mar skate contest, you know, and to see skateboarders like competing against each other. And I was like, this is just really cool. I, like, I love how everyone's in competition, but it's friendly, but it's competitive, it's serious. And I fell in love with it. When I got on stage and they said, three, two, one, shuck, and I shucked that first 18 oysters, that was it. I was hooked. So how is the competition? Well, uh, I don't know if it's changed over the years, but how was it when you were competing? So it was 18 oysters? That's right. So the Canadian Championships is 18 oysters. And other contests around are usually 12 oysters. 12 oysters, I kind of call a sprint. You know, oh, yeah. 18, 18 oysters is a little better where it's kind of like mid-range. Uh, very rarely is there ever a contest here that has two dozen oysters. And then, of course, as you know, in Ireland where they do the 30 oysters, that's just a marathon. Right, right, yeah. Um, so typically we shuck 18 oysters here. I, uh, I was champion in 2004 and in 2006. In 2004, my flat time was a minute and 47 seconds. In, 
in 2006 for 18 oysters, my flat time was a minute and 23 seconds. Come on, guy. <laughs> well, what I, happened? <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. Okay, so we table shuck here in Canada primarily. We don't do a lot of hand shucking. Like the guys on the wharf for the oyster fisher people actually do a lot of hand shucking. But when we serve oysters here, typically it's table shucking. So what I did was I lined up my 18 oysters on the tray on the table. I popped off all the lids and then I flipped the tray around. I spun the tray around and then I severed all the bottoms. So I eliminated like a second wow. and a half off of each oyster right away. And, and uh, some people were cranky at that, but it wasn't in the rules that you can't do that. So right. that was fine. And I did that. And then the next year I was so flattered. I walked into the contest and Rodney Clark looked at me and he said, Mr. Woodside, I'd like to point out a few rule changes here this year. <laughs> and the rule was you can't start your time with your oysters on the presentation tray. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So, that, so that's the story behind that. And uh, I have another trick up my sleeve that I might pull out one of these years when, when I feel like dazzling the crowd again, but I can't tell you yet. Got you. No problem. I understand, man. I totally understand. So uh, when's the last time you competed? Well, that would have been three Septembers ago at the International Shellfish Festival. Okay. That was the last time I competed. I came in second place. Uh, so I was second in PEI behind this really awesome oyster shucker. His name is Bradley Gallant. And... Um, and that's it. And then I actually made the switch to judging. So I've been judging the Canadian championships for the last couple of summers. And I also judged at the International Shellfish Festival here in Charlottetown the last two or three years as well. And I must say that I really like the judging. And often the shuckers tell me they're really happy to know that I'm judging because I know what to look for. Man, that, that's huge right there, man. I can't, I'm not going to say I can't stand. I don't want to be that guy. But man, when you get like people and they kind of halfway judge, you know, and no, and it's no consistency. So I might have a good judge, but then it's another guy beside it that doesn't really know what he's looking at or looking for. Right, exactly. And, and you know what? And that happens. In my experience in oyster shucking competitions, the people judging the plates of oysters might know oysters, but they don't necessarily shuck oysters. And it makes a big difference when you're judging the plate to know what the person was doing when they were shucking that plate. Like I can see when somebody covered up a mistake, you know, if someone tears the stomach, let's say going in, but they cover it up on the way out. Yep. I would almost award bonus points for that. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> It's like if, oh, you can, if, if you wreck that oyster and then you can make it look presentable so that somebody in a restaurant who's paying $3 for that oyster doesn't know the difference, that's the mark of a good oyster shucker. There you go. <laughs> so, so let's jump into the banjo, man. How'd you come up on the banjo? Well, you know, the funny thing about the banjo was for years, and like since the very moment I started shucking oysters, I realized that the bulbous round handles don't work for me. They're... Okay hard to squeeze right your hand isn't straight like you know your forearm and then your hand is like this and you're so you're doing this and you're using all these muscles in your forearm and i thought there's just got to be a better way because at the time i was teaching the oyster shucking class at oyster boy on weekends where people would come and i you know we would give them a little two-hour sort of class where they got to eat some oysters and shuck some oysters and 
and it was hugely successful. I taught about 2,000 people how to shuck oysters from that. Wow. And what I realized was that everyone was struggling trying to hold the knife. And I said, there's got to be a better way. Got to, got to be a better way to do this. So I came up with a few initial designs and messed around. And then I realized, well, you know where I got the idea was a skateboard wheel. So the there skateboard wheel, right, you hold in your hand. Now I can push and I can turn and I don't have to squeeze on the handle. So once I came up with that, you know, it was a matter of trial and error. The first ones that I made, I ended up uh, pouring uh, epoxy. Like I was using this two-part resin sort of stuff and I had to make silicon molds and it was a lot of fun and it was really interesting, but it was incredibly messy and time consuming. And then I figured out how to cut them out of wood. So it's been quite a, um, quite a change from the first banjos until the ones you see now. But really the banjo was born out of the necessity to have a tool that people could use who aren't used to using tools. There you go. And as you know, shucking oysters is one of the most precarious and difficult sort of things to do if you're not used to it like some people can't even use a screwdriver so to teach someone to shuck oysters you have to have something that's easy for them to use and those bulbous handles in my opinion are just a little antiquated i think you know they're good for the people that have used one of those to shuck a million oysters like you and i but right but for somebody who just wants to shuck a few dozen oysters at home every now and then i think that something that's easier to use is just super important there you go, man. Um, you know, you found you found a hole and put yourself in it. So that's Thank all that matters, you. right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I love well, it. It works, you know. It does. And you know, the most important thing too is that it also helps people to access that sustainable protein that they might not have access to, or that, you know, maybe maybe people can't afford to go out to an oyster bar all the time, but if you go to the seafood store and you buy yourself a dozen oysters every other week and bring them home and shuck them then i think that that would be one of the first steps to leading a very healthy lifestyle you know honestly man that's that's the time we're in right now anyway because you can't really get out to the raw boards like you used to um you know now things are starting to open up a little bit more but uh you know that's the time we're in where people are learning how to to shuck oysters i know the views on my how to shuck oysters videos have like you know, jumped, you know, everybody's learning how to do it yourself. Yes, exactly. Also, I just finished putting together a little booklet, the banjo book. And what it's going to do is it's going to give people the basic instructional information they need to go and buy oysters, bring those oysters home, store those oysters in their fridge, shuck those oysters and eat them and even how to cook those oysters. And it's just very simple, basic information keep them in the fridge keep them covered give them a quick rinse scrubbing them with a wire brush is not necessary in this day and age Stuff oh oh there you are yeah so uh, go ahead here. yeah where where can um when is the book going to be available the book will be available in about two weeks. Okay. It's just a nice, simple little training manual. It's about the size of a book that would fit in a CD case. 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah, a small little thing. It's really fun. It's, you know, I did all the illustrations myself and uh, it was a great learning curve putting that little book together, I must say. But that's what you need. You need a few basic facts, a good knife, some fresh oysters, and get at it. There you go. Boom, man. So um, we, uh, I think before we started recording, I'm not sure if you jumped into it, but just talk a little bit about what you're doing now and working with the oysters. Okay, so now that I've, um, I've been back on PEI now for four years, and this was a great opportunity to come back here. I was really tired of the city life. I was living in Toronto, and it's, oh my gosh, it's so busy. It's, you know, there's no such thing as rush hour anymore. It's just rush hour all the time now. So I came back to PEI. It's nice and quiet here. There's lots of space, lots of fresh air. I wanted to get my banjo oyster knife business up and on the go. And the beauty of that too is that all, P all banjos are made from PEI hardwood. So you have a little piece of PEI with you if you have a banjo oyster knife. So I wanted to set that up. And then I wanted to change my life and just, you know, I didn't want to work anymore. I wanted to enjoy my life. So being that I know so much about oysters and love the oyster business, it just made sense for me to work in oyster production here on PEI. So my friend at Atlantic Shellfish, Jacob Dockendorf, who's the president of Atlantic Shellfish, um, you know, he offered me a position with them which I took and I've been having a great time here ever since. It's, uh, what can I say? It's beautiful. Every day I get to work. It's like I work at the beach every day. And um, yeah, I don't know, you know, so between that and the oyster knife business, that's kind of what keeps me involved. The, the farming part of it is great. I do still get to go out and shuck some oysters. My friend who owns a restaurant, in a place called Darnley Basin. It's called Ship to Shore. John Bill used to work there back in the day, actually, at that same restaurant. Um, she asked me if I would be willing to do a little, a little oyster night there on Saturday nights for the summer, which I've agreed to because I still like chucking plates of oysters for people. So I get the best of both worlds now where I get to grow the oysters. I get to do all the jobs that involve growing the oysters. I still get to shuck the oysters and serve them to people and talk about them. And I get to make the knife that people get to use to open oysters. Oh, so you was naming off some of the oysters that you, uh, you guys are farming. That's right. Yeah. So we have uh, Savage Blondes. That's like our sort of, I would call the benchmark uh, brand. Savage Blondes come from Savage Harbor, which is, well, if you're looking over there into the sunlight, I know it's real bright. It's past that point. So it's just around that point over there. And those are real popular around here too. They're called blondes, you know, because the shell has that lovely goldish blondy color. And um, then there's the tuxedos. The tuxedos are like a really nice choice shaped oyster with nice cup. And uh, they tend to have the darker shells, the darker shells with sort of like white highlights. Then there's the redhead selects, which are my fave because those are some bottom wild oysters. So we have those on our bottom lease. What we do is not all the oysters that we grow, grow in cages. So in, in the culture of oysters, as you may know, there's also bottom leases where you can spread oyster seed out on the bottom and then go out and harvest it later. And so we do a lot of that too. And uh, the redhead selects are these really nice, deep cup, thick oysters that are just fabulous. And um, 
Then there's the Shipwreck Selects, which are very nice. And those ones come from South Lake, where I was swimming the least today. And they have a really nice meat. Like the meats in them are so full and plump. When you open up the oyster, it's almost like bursting out of the shell. It's amazing. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> when they're <laughs> popping out of the shell, man, it's crazy. I know. Me too. It's the best. And uh, let's see. After that, we've got uh, the South Lake Selects, which come from the same place in South Lake. And uh, then we, you know, sort of have like a more generic brand, which we don't call Malpex. Um, I know, you know, maybe you recognize the, you know, the name Malpex being a PEI oyster. And, you know, to give a little history on that, the uh, oyster industry in PEI was kind of killed in the early part of the 1900s because of diseases like MSX and things like that. So they used Malpec oysters to reseed the rest of PEI, like oysters from Malpec Bay, that is. And then in the 70s, the PEI government thought that they would just brand every oyster from PEI as a Malpec because it was a super world famous kind of name. And then after that, people started growing oysters and they didn't want to be just mall packs like everybody else, right? They wanted to be different and they wanted to differentiate themselves. So that's why we have a lot of branded marketing names now, whether it's, you know, Savage Blonde or Raspberry Point or whatever, you know, those are all cultured PEI oysters. And, and uh, so you can't really call them a mall pack at this point. Malpec, I would say, is a regional term just for PEI oysters. That's cool. I didn't know that, man, about the Malpec, but that's, that's good to know. And I'm not going to hold you long, man. You've gave a lot of nuggets here tonight, and I see you. it's kind of hot out there on you. <laughs> it's warm. It's a scorcher here. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. But I appreciate you for taking time out, man. I, I love the banjo knife. Um, I'm probably going to be getting some more soon. And maybe we can do a giveaway or something when I drop this video. That sounds great, Gardner. I'd be happy to do that. We should definitely, definitely do something. I would love to be a part of it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, again, thank you for your time, man. And uh, keep, keep on doing what you're doing for the industry. I love it, man. Thank you so much, Gardner. It's been a pleasure. And I really look forward to the day that we can finally hang out together when, whenever festival again we're gonna be there no doubt sounds good man all righty take care all right thank you